67,875 and 14,169. I'll tell you what those numbers mean in just a moment. First, let me tell you where we're going this morning. As most of you know, for the previous nine months, we've been most of our time considering the book of Mark. We had a goal of considering that book and studying that book, not every single week. You know we've taken breaks here and there. We took an extended break back between Mother's Day and Father's Day, for example, for a series on, on the family. We've taken other breaks here and there. But we had a goal of considering that book over the course of 2023 and 2024. We're still on course to do that. We're going to deviate from that plan just a little bit, and the reason probably should be fairly obvious. And that is that over the last weekend, we had a school evangelism. We're very excited about doing some things, about being more involved and ready congregationally to, to evangelize. And so we're going, to, we're going to deviate from that plan. You may have thought, wait a minute, John chapter 4 isn't in the book of Mark. You're right. We're going to deviate from that plan a little bit and, and, and think for a few weeks about some things connected with that. And the... the the three lessons beginning this morning are all going to be from John chapter 4, the Sunday morning sermons. We're going to take some Sunday nights to do more of almost some training in a way. Some things that Brother Whitaker left with us and encouraged us to do. And I'll go ahead and tell you, by the way, that these three lessons are from an outline that he suggests be preached. Now, I didn't just take his outline and steal it. For one thing, he doesn't start everything with the same letter, so you know it's not from me. But uh, I also changed some wording. I had a lot of things to it. And, but... It's a very encouraging thing, but going, okay, so what were those numbers? 67,875 and 14,169. In the 2020 census, those were the, the population totals for McCracken County, Kentucky, and Massac County, Illinois, respectively. And you know, if you're a member here at Central, we have members from other counties as well, Kentucky and Illinois. And we also know that there's no way those numbers are still true. If you don't believe me, just drive around Paducah and start counting apartment complexes being built. It's ridiculous. They're everywhere. But you put those, those two numbers together, you have just a shade over 82,000. 82,000. Just a hair over that. In just those two counties. And we all know, again, there are other counties represented in the central family. And sometimes we see numbers like that, and it just overwhelms us. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, to kind of be able to get all 82,000 plus those people together and have one shot to, to, to teach a sermon or teach a Bible class. But sometimes that's the way that we think. We, we have to have some massive thing to reach everyone all at one time. But in John chapter 4, where we're going to be for the next three Sundays today included, Jesus really reminds us that the way to do that is one at a time. This, this woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman, we call her by different names, this chapter, John chapter 4, is in many ways a master class on personal evangelism. And found throughout this chapter, Jesus by example and by words gives us a, a significant number of things that any one of us can use as we're striving to win the lost around us. In fact, you may be able to add to the list, but there are at least 17. And that's why it's a three-part sermon. Don't get worried. We're not going to do a 17-point sermon this morning because I'd like to eat at some point today too. We're going to take these in the order in which they're found in the text over the next three weeks. And there are sheets laying around the auditorium if you'd like to use those to take notes. Maybe you want to write in the margin of your Bible or a notebook that you keep. 
But I hope that you write all of these down somewhere and then come back to John 4 at a later time to review them, to consider the example that Jesus gives to us of what it means to seek to reach even just one person with the truth of the gospel. Number one, Jesus, as the greatest personal evangelist, did not let culture close doors to souls. There's a phrase found in that scripture that Brother Kiefer read for us a few minutes ago that, that reads a little bit strangely to us. And then we may have an explanation for a little bit later. In John 4 and verse 3, we're told about just the, the travel plans of Jesus. He's going to be leaving Judea. That's the region around uh, the city of Jerusalem. And he was going to travel to Galilee. And if you have you know, the maps in the back of your Bible, or maybe you can kind of remember it in your, in your head, you, you've got, if you look at Israel today, you've got Judea down here, and then Samaria, and then Galilee up to the north. And so Jesus is basically traveling from, from south to north. But then John tells us that he had to pass through Samaria. The King James has, he must needs go through Samaria. Now, practically speaking, he didn't. He didn't. In fact, if you studied this before, you know that the vast majority of Jews didn't pass through Samaria. Most of them would basically leave Judea by crossing the Jordan River and then going up the eastern side of the river and then crossing back over into Galilee in order to avoid going through Samaria at all. They didn't want their, their sandals to touch that, that soil at all. The Samaritans, as you may recall from Bible history, were sort of, if I may put it this way, the, the, the offspring or the ancestors of when the Assyrians had overtaken that particular region. And the way the Assyrians overtook a region most commonly was they allowed their people to move into an area and intermarry. And so you have mixing of blood, you have mixing of religion, you have all kinds of things. And so then, the, the if I may put it this way, the, the pure blood Jews and the pure religion Jews could not stand these Samaritans who had mixed all these things, and so they refused to actually intermingle with them and travel through their land and all of that. But practically speaking, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. But if he was going to stay on mission, he did. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus gave one of those statements about why he came to this earth. And the reason he gave there was, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, notice the way he said it, that which was lost. What did Jesus not say in Luke 19.10? Jesus did not say, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the Jews only that were lost. The Samaritans, pagans, Gentiles, they were lost also. And sprinkled throughout the Gospel accounts are reminders that Jesus would not close the doors that culture so often closed. Do I need to remind us that culture wants us to be against each other just because of superficial differences? Sometimes it's racial. Sometimes it's economic. The rich against the poor, the poor against the rich. Sometimes it's people with, with grand formal educations who look down on those who don't have a bunch of letters after name or vice versa. Culture would have us to want to just be in these little tiny boxes and, and, and those, things, those boxes don't need to mix at all. Jesus reminds us that we cannot let those types of doors be closed uh, close to us an opportunity to reach someone with the gospel. 
famously told in the Old Testament that God does not see as man sees. God, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. I, I like, by the way, that that verse is honest about the fact that we're going to notice differences. We're going to notice we look different. We have different economic... We, we, we notice that stuff. But if we're going to be like God, we don't let that stuff stop us. Jesus would not let culture close doors to souls. Number two, Jesus did not let fatigue stop him. Practically speaking, physically speaking, why did Jesus stop at this well? Well, the text tells us, doesn't it? In the reading, in verse 6, it tells us he was wearied from his journey. The word wearied there means just what you might think it means. It means you're tired from something, worn out from something. But it was a word that was literally an effect of something. You're wearied because of something. And in that day and time especially, travel could very much be one of those causes. You were either walking or riding something through the you know cold of night, the heat of day, and you didn't have all the, the comforts that we have now, traveling and things. And so traveling, especially of any distance, could wear anyone out. And by the way, this is one of those times found in the gospel accounts, and John does this a lot, to remind us of the humanity of Jesus, the, the human qualities of Jesus. Jesus was literally tired. He was literally worn out from his journey. We might, we might think of it this way. Jesus was suffering from an ancient version of jet lag. That's what's, what's going on here. He's tired. And so he stops at this particular well because he needs a rest stop. You've been there before. He's tired. But he sees an opportunity. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul will tell all Christians to not be weary in well-doing. To not be weary in well-doing. It may be because of the movement of our culture, even locally, away from God and religion and biblical principles. It may be because we, we've tried in the past and felt like we weren't successful in reaching the lost or something. Whatever, excuse me, whatever the reason, we may have some, if you please, fatigue from trying to win the lost. It happens. We get tired sometimes. We 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 run into enough, you know, dead ends from time to time that we, we feel like we just we just can't keep going. The devil would like nothing more than for us to stop. Just because we're tired. Just because we're fatigued. The Bible tells us don't be weary in well-doing. And there's nothing more, pardon the grammar, there's nothing more well-doing than seeking to win people to Jesus Christ. Are there going to be times where we're tired? Yeah. Are there going to be times where it feels like momentum is just gone? Of course. But we must keep going. Three. Jesus started with a normal conversation. When this woman approaches, you ever notice Jesus doesn't just start with some random biblical question to start the Bible trivia game? Instead, he looks at her, and in verse 7, he just simply says, give me a drink. That's a normal conversation. I mean, they're, they're there at a well. She's drawing water. And it would have been nothing uncommon for someone passing by who wasn't drawing water, but who was just there just to ask, but, do you mind if I have, put it in our modern terminology, do you mind if I have a cup of that? That's, that's the idea behind what's going on here. He's not making a, a strong demand of her. He's doing what anybody who's wearied and not the one drawing water would, would have done. Do you mind if I just simply have a, a sip of, of what you've got? He starts with a very, very normal uh, conversation and something was already on their mind. If you were here, <clears throat> excuse me, 
And I forget, I forget which lesson it was during the, the, uh, the school evangelism. But there was something said that, that I actually almost heard somebody go, what? He's kind of felt this in the room. Like, huh? Brother Whitaker said something like this. The best way to get a Bible study is not to ask for a Bible study. Remember him saying that if you were here? You know why. Do you like it when someone walks up to you random with a you don't know and goes, The end is coming! Are you ready? You keep walking. Now you now you may you may appreciate their sincerity, and I hope you do. But you probably keep in fact you may start walking the other way. But if you begin with just normal things, water at a well, people see that you're human too. It opens doors to other conversations. We always need to keep in mind that when we deal with people, we are seeking a Bible study that will lead to their conversion. We must be kind. We must be friendly. We must remember that we're doing that with an end in mind. And that end is the salvation of a soul. That will never happen if we start off harshly, of course. But it probably won't happen either if we just jump right in and start asking them Bible questions the first time we ever meet somebody. But if we begin just normally, look, I'm thirsty too. I, I like to eat too. I, I like that team too. I, I like that sport too. I, 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 okay, I don't like shopping there too. That's not a good example. Um, no, I don't like coffee, but I like hot chocolate. Just normal things. People will be willing to listen. And Jesus knew that. Number four. Jesus chose an appropriate time. Now, this is where we can begin to deviate from the example of Jesus a little bit in our own life. Here's what I mean. Obviously, Jesus knew that this woman would be in this place at this time. We can't know that sort of thing. We can't know that if, if I go to this particular location, then this person is for sure going to be there. Jesus would have known that. We, we can't know. I, I get that. But there's still a practical side to what Jesus does. Because if you notice in verse 8, what's recorded for us is not Jesus went there because she was there. Instead, verse 8 tells us that, that the disciples had gone away. In fact, they'd gone away to, to buy bread. They'd gone to town to, to do business. We're going to think of it that way. Now, that will play an important role now and an important role later, by the way. Later in John chapter 4, it will play an important role when the disciples return and it gives them a chance, Jesus, excuse me, a chance to teach them about what's going on. But for now, it plays an important role because, well, let's just be honest. Religion, salvation, those things are very personal. And if this woman who still doesn't know who Jesus is begins to get asked questions about sin and salvation and all this stuff, and there's 12 apostles looking over her shoulder. Do you think she's going to open up very much at all? She's probably going to get her water and run if she remembers the water at all. Now, caveat. So we'll say, wait a minute. This is a man and a woman alone. That's not good. Folks, they're by a well. Anybody could walk by at any point in time. We need to be careful about where we are with people. But look at the appropriateness of how Jesus does this. When we're dealing with trying to, to reach the lost, we get to know them in public places, restaurants and ball games and shopping and even online, other things like that, of course. 
But it is very, very difficult to have a true, deep Bible study in the middle of Cracker Barrel. There's too much noise, there's too many distractions, and the biscuits taste too good. There's just too much going on. And if, if you try to do that, and someone begins to start seeing some things in Scripture that, that they realize aren't right in their own life, they're probably not going to talk about it when they're wondering if the waitress is going to show up in the next couple minutes and ask if you need to refill on something. But we get to know people publicly. But then when it's time to open the Scriptures, way to go or it can be us in the Bible, our homes, private location, kitchen tables, living rooms, somewhere we can be no distractions, where the Word can be opened. It's appropriate for those situations. A husband and wife with the one they're studying with. Someone who's single, studying in a, a place where they have someone with them. So there's no question of impropriety or anything like that. But where very specific, deep questions can be considered from the Word of God. Do you remember... In Acts chapter 18, excuse me, Aquila and Priscilla, they, they hear this man of Apollos preaching. The Bible tells us he's a man mighty in the Scripture. Sometimes I wonder why, why I didn't get the Apollos DNA. That'd be great. He seems to know everything, gets everything, but no, he didn't. He was preaching powerfully, but not completely accurately. And this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, did not stand up in the worship service and go, you're getting that wrong, preacher, because it would have completely embarrassed him. But it said, Acts 18.26 says, they took him aside and taught him the ways of God more accurately. That's compassion. But it's also appropriate. Because he didn't need to be shamed publicly. He needed to be taught in a way where he would hear it and receive it. And where the text could be open. And they could consider it. Next. Jesus did not let potentially offensive statements stop him. I don't know how to read the question that the Samaritan woman asks in verse 9. What, what I mean is, I know what the words say, but I don't know the tone in which they were said. I think at the very least, they're asked in a surprised way, a shocked way. It is also possible that this question is asked out of, her, out of this woman's own level of prejudice or offensiveness, if you will. When, when she asks the question, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a woman of Samaria for, for, for water. Now, was she just surprised or was she also pregnant? I don't know, but it is interesting that the very next phrase in your Bible is that for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. <laughs> I heard someone preach one time and say, I know the Bible doesn't say this, but the feeling was mutual. There was a Samaritan having dealings with the Jews either. So she asked this question. Here's what I'd have to ask myself. How would I have responded? I could have been very, very defensive. Somebody asking a question like that in that situation. Man, I, I know what I'm trying to do. I, I'm trying to reach this person with the gospel. I'm trying to do something out of the goodness of my heart. How is it that you, a Jew, ask, ask me for a drink? Right? Now let's take it a step further and make this 2023. What if she had posted that on her Facebook page? Some of us would have put a comment so fast our fingers would be smoking before we hit the enter button. Right? If we deal with people, we're trying to win them to the lost, 
It is going to happen where they are going to say things or ask things that are at least you know, upsetting to us, if not straight up offensive to us. And how we respond is going to make all the difference. What about this one? Oh yeah, I knew. I knew you'd try to study with me. After all, you're one of those Church of Christ folks who think you're the only ones going to heaven. Or, yeah, for, for a while, a few years ago, I, I used to watch some, some Church of Christ services on TV. You're the ones who don't believe in music, aren't you? Or maybe one of the hardest ones. When I was growing up, I had a friend who was, who was a member of the Church of Christ, and he told me I was going to hell. Now, folks, we have answers to those. Some of them are biblical. Notice some of them are biblical. And some of them are just things we'd like to say because that, those things hurt us and we're ready just to, to hammer back and jump down somebody's throat for saying such a thing. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 15 and verse 1, a soft answer. That word soft literally means tender or delicate. A tender, delicate answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word, a harsh answer stirs up trouble. Think about Paul when he was in the city of Athens. I mean, Athens is filled with idols. They're everywhere. It's filled with this, this, these pagan worship practices. It's, it's all over the place. And yet Paul is given a chance to address the men on Areopagus or Mars Hill, doing a translation you've got. It would have been right for him in, in some ways to begin his address with, you pagan idolaters. But how does he begin it? Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. You think he didn't have their attention at that point in time with a soft beginning? Now, is there a time to be very bold? Yes. Is there a time possibly even for publicly shaming someone? I would suggest there could be. I think it's rare, but I think there could be. But for trying to win a soul, it's not the first sentence. And it's also not the first response to a question or something that someone says that could be perceived as, as upsetting or offensive. Jesus knew that there was something bigger here than answering that question. We need to pick our battles very, very wisely. Number six. Jesus offered something better than what she had. It is brilliantly done that Jesus turns the conversation in verse 10, begins the conversation, I should say, away from physical, actual water to what he describes as living water. If you knew who it was who were talking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now at this point in time, obviously, this woman has no idea what that means. Jesus didn't expect her to have any idea what that means at this point in time. I don't think Jesus expected her to know what it meant for quite a while. But she, what he does is he says something that piques her interest because living water, that's better than actual water. That's, you know, because if I drink water, guess what I've got to do tomorrow? I've got to come back to the well and get some more. Right? Living water? The point I want to make from this is that yes, we need to help people with earthly, physical things. Jesus even said in the latter part of Matthew chapter 25, they will be judged by our efforts to, to help the, the poor and the naked and 
and those who are in prison and those who are sick. And all that list you find there on the Day of Judgment are efforts to try to, to reach out to those who are in those, those difficult situations of life. Absolutely, we must do that. But to what end? Folks, we could, we could dismiss services and we could say, you know what, nobody's going home today and nobody's going to Cracker Barrel today. We're going to go a few blocks away. The church has bought an entire block of, of land and we're going to spend the next week, 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 week doing nothing but building houses on this block so that some people can move into those houses for free. And we get our name in the paper. We news would probably come. We'd be all over the place. We'd, we'd feel really, really good about ourselves. But if we never offer those people Jesus, what have we really done? Folks, we will never build more houses than Habitat for Humanity. We will never give away more, more clothing or more food than any number of organizations we can think about. But there is only one group, only one organization on the face of this earth that can offer people the hope of heaven, and that's the Church of Christ. So we offer something better than anything else this world could ever give. Six down, eleven to go. But I think that's enough for today. 82,000 plus people and counting and growing. It's overwhelming. Until you remember that each one is one. May I ask as we close, where do you have to go even today? Some, some of us will go out to eat, maybe in a little while. Some might have a meeting for, for work or something this afternoon. Some of us will go online. Some of us may go to, to play with friends in our neighborhood or meet some of our friends in the park or something and do something like that. That's, that's wonderful. Each one of those people is a soul. How will you treat them? How will you treat them? Jesus reminds us that each individual matters. And each individual is a potential, has a potential, to be reached for God. Each one in this room matters. Have you given your life to God? There are some in this room who have. Most of us have. Praise God for them. Some have. The living water that Jesus offered was himself shed on, when he shed his blood on Calvary. We contact that through the waters of baptism. Our sins are washed away. If you've never given your life to Him, make this the moment. Or if you as a Christian need to return to Him in faithfulness, you do that right now. I'm going to say to Satan to encourage you.